here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Lana. 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 Lana! What? <laughs> Danger zone. It's my music. You're listening to Music of the Mat on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Music of the Mat, the podcast devoted exclusively to the music of pro wrestling. It's all part of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. I'm the barbarian Andrew Rich. Joining me in the guest co-host seat this episode, he is the host of the podcast Japanese Audio Wrestling, as well as a contributor to Voices of Wrestling. Coming to you via the magic of the interwebs, live from Japan, it's Jojo Remy. Jojo, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, thank you. I'm excited that we finally got to catch up. I'm uh, sorry about the scheduling issues, but uh, let's do this. Don't worry about it. You live in Japan. I live in Boston. It was bound to happen. Yeah, man, it's it's tough. It's tough to, to you know, I have like calls for work that are across multiple time zones too, and it's like... If my phone doesn't buzz like, okay, your call's in 15 minutes, like t- keeping track of time zones is a real pain in the ass. So it's a recurring theme in my life these days, I think. <laughs> Where in Japan do you live, by the way? I live, uh, I'm fortunate to live in the center of Tokyo. So I live right in the middle of Tokyo, which is an awesome place to live. After looking over your Twitter photos uh, over the past couple of weeks or so, I can't lie, I'm a bit jealous that you have the ability to watch Japanese wrestling live and in person, like, all the time. I mean, you saw the last three nights of the G1 Climax this year in Sumo Hall, which is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, I did. I uh, I went to, to six G1 shows in total this year, and uh, in retrospect, I definitely bit off more than I can chew, than I could chew. Um, it's, you know, I, I thought it was, you know, taxing waking up early in the morning and and watching it, you know, online when I was living in the U.S. But you know, yeah, it's it's a it's a blessing and a curse because it's awesome to be able to go to the shows, but you can definitely overdo it and and burn yourself out too. So uh, grateful that I got to do it, but I probably won't be going to six shows next year. Yeah, here I am booting up New Japan World at five in the morning. Meanwhile, you get to see Tanahashi versus Naito, Okada versus Omega, Okada versus Naito. The return of Shibata, Nagata's last G1 match. You get to see all of that stuff live. So I understand, you know, biting off more than you can chew when it comes to going to live wrestling. But at the same time, at least you're watching it at a reasonable hour as opposed to the crack of dawn. Yeah, definitely. And But I totally get, I totally get waking up early. Like, when New, when New Japan World first launched, I was so excited that I was waking up to watch everything live. So, like, your run-of-the-mill Corquin show... I was waking up at, you know, whatever, 4 a.m. To, to watch it. So thankfully I don't have to do that anymore. 
And that's not just true for New Japan either. You get to see a ton of Japanese promotions where you are. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so uh, I don't go to every promotion, but typically, like these days, I'll do Dragon Gate Korokuen uh, almost every month. Um, All Japan Korokuen, which we're talking about All Japan today. Uh, most of them, like, you know, if there's a good main event, I'm probably going. Um, Noah, kind of infrequently these days. Um, but, you know, that I like that promotion as well. And that those are really the the promotions I go to those four. If there's something special outside of those four, I'll check it out. Like last year, I went to the Michinoku Pro Masked uh, Mass Man tournament, which was uh, a one off show, but it was something that you know is definitely part of my wrestling history. So I wanted to check that out. Um, but yeah, I'm spoiled, and I know a lot of people are jealous of me. But uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, just give the listeners a brief synopsis. How did you get into wrestling, especially Japanese wrestling, considering it is your area of expertise? Yeah, so wrestling in general, I can't really trace back to a specific like moment. Uh, it's kind of always been there, but not necessarily in in terms of watching it from from the start so like my first exposure to wrestling was like walking through the aisles of toys r us and seeing hasbro action figures and being like oh that looks like something you know that's not a ghostbuster that's not a ninja turtle but i want to know what that is and then at some point i rented uh wrestlemania the video game uh, for nintendo like the original nintendo which was a a terrible game but I prob- that must have been, like, around 91 or 90 that I rented that. So, you know, as a, as a five- or six-year-old. Um, so that was kind of my first exposure to wrestling. And then I, th- I think I started watching it maybe, like, three years later, uh, getting exposed to, like, WCW Saturday Night and, like, WWF Monday Night Raw around 93. I think, like, my earliest memories are kind of, like, Lord Steven Regal and, like, Brett versus Owen. And, uh, you know, that kind of time period. So I, I kind of missed, like, the, the Hulk Hogan, like, peak early WWF, but kind of that, like, early 90s American stuff is where I got in. Uh, for Japanese wrestling, you know, so by the time I was in high school, I was obsessed. Um, to the point where, like, at, you know, whatever I weighed at the time, 89 pounds or something as a, as a 14 year old, I was going to be a wrestler. Like I was convinced that that's what I was going to do. Um, so, so much so that I, I took up, you know, amateur wrestling, um, eventually, you know, around the age of, of 15, like backyarding. Uh, and eventually I got trained like in a ring by a real, a real wrestler. But, um, at that, at this time, like around ninth, 10th grade, I was like backyarding a lot. And a kid in my Spanish class that I was backyarding with uh, after a day of backyarding was like, uh, you know, this is great. We're like trying to copy Eddie Guerrero, Dean Malenko stuff from ECW, but what we should really be trying to copy in the, you know, summer heat of a Miami park is this Misawa Kobashi match. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I you know, I, I don't know what you're talking about, but, you know, show it to me. So we walked back to his house from this park and my life was changed. You know, I th- I'm pretty sure the match he showed me was from 
June 1999. I think June. It was either a tag match between Burning and the Untouchables or a, a singles match between Misawa and Kobashi. I don't really remember, but it was on like a comp tape that he got from RF Video. Anyway, uh, yeah. So by then, it was, at that point, I was just like, where can I get Japanese wrestling? You know, where can I get a comp tape? Where can I, you know, send you this, you know, stuff that I recorded off the television and get something from Japan in return? Uh, and then, you know, I started training when I was 16 or 17 and, and gave it up, you know, after six months or so. But, uh, yeah, from a, long, from a long time ago, I guess, I, I've been watching Japanese wrestling, to, to answer your, your question. All it takes is one. All it takes is one match to get you hooked. Yeah, and then, you know, then video games played a really important part, like either Fire Pro Wrestling G at the time, which was a PlayStation game, or actually even, like, Super Fire Pro X Premium, which was a Super Nintendo game that I had emulated. Uh, and then, you know, Virtual Pro, Virtual Pro Wrestling, uh, that was part of it. And then I started studying Japanese uh, when I was 18. Um, Studied in college for a year, then gave it up. Gave up wrestling entirely for, like, eight years. And then uh, eventually picked it back up and then got an opportunity to move here. I guess I was probably watching Japanese wrestling again, like, regularly around 2011. Uh, wrestling in general, I think I jumped back in around 2011. So, like, between 2003 and 2011, it was ze- no wrestling at all for me. Um, and... Yeah, now I'm now I'm overwhelmed by wrestling again. So ah, you're back in it. Yeah, just when you thought you were out, they pull you back in. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how. I don't know why, but you know, this is what we do. Well, today, JoJo episode fifteen, we are looking at a collection of themes from current day All Japan Pro Wrestling. All Japan is a company that the podcast hasn't really delved into yet. We've done plenty of New Japan themes, some Dragon Gate stuff but not All Japan. The reason why I chose to cover current day All Japan was because the past two episodes, Shinsuke Nakamura and Jeff Jarrett, those were clearly in my wheelhouse. I know Nakamura, I know Jeff Jarrett, I know their theme mysteries. But one of the goals of this podcast is to discover and discuss new themes that we're not familiar with. And I'm unfamiliar with current day All Japan. It's not in my wheelhouse. I don't watch it. For me, when I think of All Japan, I think of the 90s, for obvious reasons. It's one of the greatest runs in any wrestling company ever. This is the era of Misawa, Kobashi, Kawada, Tawe, Hansen, Dr. Death, putting on some of the greatest matches ever and selling out shows up the wazoo. That's what I think of when I think of All Japan because, you know, well, I've seen that stuff. Having said that, that doesn't mean that I'm completely oblivious to other eras of the company. It's kind of like what I said on the Dragon Gate Heal Units episode. I may not have seen the matches like I have with the 90s era, but I do know who the wrestlers are and the general history. I know all about Giant Baba founding the company in 1972, the NWA period during the 70s and the 80s with the Funk Brothers and Bruiser Brody and guys like that, the Jumbo Tenaru feud, uh, the Keiji Muto era of the 2000s, and even nowadays with Miyahara and the gang. What about you, Jojo? What is your experience like with All Japan? Do you know more about one particular era than others? Yeah, so like I mentioned, All Japan, like late 90s All Japan was kind of my, my launching point to Japanese wrestling. 
Um, and at that point, you know, collecting tapes, I went back and watched pretty much everything that I could from, let's say, like, 92 or 93 uh, through the Noah split, which happened in 2000. Um, so that period, you know, the, the period that's considered, you know, the best, I know pretty well. Um, and then, you know, I mentioned that I stopped watching wrestling altogether in around 2003. So right after Muto and Kojima and Kendo Kashin jumped from New Japan, I was only around for a couple months before I, I, I gave up wrestling. Um, so the Muto era to me is, I don't know it at all. I know like just a couple matches, you know, the Muto, Kawada, Tenru, Kojima, like, uh, series of, you know, intermixing. I know those matches, but the Muto period, I don't know at all. Um, and then, you know, I got back into it actually just about a year ago, um, with the Sumo Hall show. Uh, from last year, and it's pretty timely because they're doing that show again uh, this weekend, and I'm going. So, um, yeah, I would say that my wheelhouse is definitely the glory days. Uh, I'm into it these days, uh, and the Muto era is just kind of my my blind spot. And I guess the the '80s stuff, I've seen some of it, but it's not something I, you know, I know that well. Like the you know, Brody Abdullah the Butcher. Era. I don't. I don't know that time that well. And let me say for the record that even though I don't watch all Japan, that doesn't mean it's because of some ulterior motive. I'm a massive New Japan fan. I watch it all the time. But that doesn't mean that I'm rah rah ride or die New Japan. And I swore a sacred blood oath to not watch any other company. It's not like that at all. The truth is, I simply don't have enough time to get into a new wrestling company. There's just not enough hours in the day. Plus, I'm the kind of guy where I worry about where to start. You know, if someone gives me a show and says, this is a good starting point to get into Company X, there's always going to be that little voice in my head going, hey, what about this show that came before it? And what about this tournament and that pay-per-view? There's always going to be that completionist voice in my head that I have to constantly battle and, and tamp down. The great thing about pro wrestling is that it does not go away. The bad thing about pro wrestling is is that it does not go away. There are no series finales. The only series finales in wrestling are when companies shut down. And even then, it's like Hydra. You know, shut down one company, two more tickets place. Yeah, and that's the story of All Japan. You know, you mentioned, you know, loyalty to a company. If anything, I was loyal to those guys that got me into wrestling that left to form Noah. So I was actively avoiding All Japan, you know, for for the Muto period and for in basically until I got a free ticket to last year's uh, Sumo Hall show. Um, so I think, and I think the fact that Akiyama's running things now, you know, if you go to an all Japan show and I've, I've mentioned this before on my show, it feels like you're at, you know, you're, you're, you are, um, you know, visiting a family business. It really feels like Akiyama and, you know, the young guys that are part of the roster really put their all into the shows. And um, it really, you know, New Japan feels like a, a big time major league production. It's very removed from the fans. Um, but all Japan feels like, you know, you're, you're basically in Akiyama's house is kind of what it feels like. It's truly amazing how this is a company that has had three major roster exoduses take place. The Super World of Sports one in 1990, 
the Noah one in 2000, which was massive, and the Russell One Exodus in 2013. And not only has All Japan been able to survive, they've actually managed to turn it around a bit and become healthy. Nowhere near the peak of the 90s, obviously, but like you said, they're still going after all that. It's amazing. Yeah, I mean, they're basically, they were dead on their feet, uh, basically when I got to Japan, and it's it's incredible how much they've turned around their business. You know, Andrew, I will say um, that if you're looking for a point to jump in, uh, this weekend's show in Sumo Hall is absolutely the best place to do it. Uh, if you if you happen to be up at the time, it's airing live. You can watch it online. Um, but you know, it's definitely going to be a uh, it's kind of the end of a chapter and a start of a new chapter for the company. I think. Um, so I would highly recommend, you know, just jumping in with this show. All right. Well, I'll keep an eye out for it based on your recommendation. Definitely. And it's, you know, Kojima's work in the show too. So you're going to have that familiarity. All right. Well, with all that squared away, let's get to our themes. This is, like I said, a general collection of themes that you would hear if you're watching all Japan nowadays. We have nine in total to get to. We start off with the theme for Kento Miyahara, who is the ace of all Japan He recently held the Triple Crown Heavyweight Championship for 464 days before losing it to Shuji Ishikawa. His theme is called Breakheart. So this is a techno number that's quite obvious from the very beginning. You'd be hard-pressed to find any guitars or basses or drums in this one. We get that big synthesizer wave that washes over you right at the start. Really sets the mood that... Then it segues into the main hook and the rest of the song. And that's where it really picks up the pace. Very upbeat, very poppy. You know... Suited quite well for a young babyface like Miyahara. And I have to point out that with Miyahara becoming the new ace of all Japan in recent times, a song like this is a neat way to audibly separate him from the generations that came before him. The big main event superstar themes of the 90s, Spartan X, Grand Sword, Holy War, etc., were these big epic rock oriented songs centered on electric guitars and pounding drums. What better way to distance yourself from that era and cement yourself as this new ace, this new generation of top-level all-Japan wrestler, than having a different genre of song entirely? Yeah, so, you know, I mentioned that uh, I basically gave up wrestling for seven or eight years, and during that time period, I was basically only doing music, so songwriting playing with bands, 
you know, diving into the history of rock and roll, like much like I had done uh, with wrestling at an earlier stage of my life. And uh, techno is not something that I like in general. I don't, I don't like it at all, actually. You know, you mentioned uh, it, there's no guitars. You know, I basically, aside from some hip hop, I don't listen to any music with no guitar. <laughs> so this is not something that I would that I would ever listen to, you know, uh, stylistically. Now, having said that, like you said, I think it's perfect for him. Uh, he's got that kind of abrasive. Uh, I don't know what to think of this guy, but he wins me over every time. Personality. Um, so I think it's a perfect fit. In terms of the song, it's very repetitive. Um, you know, it's kind of like even hypnotizing. And, uh, but because of that, like, quality that it has, it, it's very infectious, too. Um, and it's not necessarily because of the, the melody or anything like that, but it, it's, it's something that just kind of, like, hangs in your ear afterwards because it's so repetitive. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, like I said, I would never listen to it, you know, in my music listening time, but, um, it's over with the fans. Like they, they chant his name and clap along when it plays. And I think it it suited perfectly to his, his character. Like you said. Yeah. Repetitiveness. I wholeheartedly agree. I think techno songs are designed to be insanely catchy and get stuck in your ear. So this repetitive synth riff is meant to really get in your head. I also noticed how this theme has a different vibe than the one for New Japan's ace, Okada. Okada's theme, Rainmaker, is built around the guitar. It's more rock-oriented. If I had to pick a theme that Breakheart is more in line with, I would actually go with Tetsuya Naito's theme, Stardust, which has that techno foundation. Yeah, I was thinking the same exact thing. I want to go back to the intro real quick here. Uh, Those big swaths on the keyboard... I don't know how big of a prog rock fan you are, Jojo. It reminds me a lot of the intro to Watcher of the Skies by Genesis, which also has that style of intro with the sustained notes on the Mellotron. something I noticed as a Genesis fan. I think I was surprised, you know, listening to these songs in detail, how much, how many of them, and I, I think it's like a, well, not for this one, but for the other ones, it's kind of like a time period thing, but there's synthesizer like all over these songs, um, which, which was interesting to me. Like, well, when we get to the other ones, I think a lot of them are just because the, the time period they come from, but yeah, I agree. I think that's probably the best part of the song. So Miyahara won the Triple Crown and held it for 464 days, which actually is the fifth longest Triple Crown reign ever. He's also the youngest champion ever at 28. And during his reign, attendance figures rose and business picked up. 
So it's pretty obvious that All Japan see him as their shining star for years to come. And I believe he's going to wrestle Ishikawa in a rematch for the belt soon at the uh, at that show you mentioned earlier. So he's probably going to win that belt back sooner rather than later. Couple days, Saturday. Um, and to me, you know, getting back into All Japan, it wasn't Kento that drew me in. Uh, it was actually the next guy that we're going to talk about um, that got me back into it. Yes, our next theme is the theme for Suwama. Suwama is a former five-time Triple Crown Heavyweight Champion and currently on All Japan's Board of Directors. His theme is by Osamu Suzuki, and it's called DDS, Dramatic Dream Suwama. very much the opposite of Miyahara's theme. Rather than plucky techno, it falls in line more so with the triumphant classic rock that was more prevalent in the 90s and early 2000s. You have these wild guitar solos and even a drum solo that you, you certainly wouldn't find in Miyahara's theme. Which makes sense because Suwama is older than Miyahara, he started wrestling earlier than him, so it stands to reason that his entrance music would be more reflective of that earlier era. Yeah, you know, what, what, what drew me to Suwama was that I could... He reminded me of what I remembered about All Japan. You know, his theme, uh, the way he wrestles, um, the way he carries himself. Like, that's... He would have fit in in any era of All Japan, I think. Uh, and he's been there for a long time, so he basically has. But, um, yeah, the theme, you know, it's very driving. There's a lot of harmonizing guitars. Um... Strong melodies in terms of, you know, the guitar lines. And I think, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of this song. Actually, um, before I, before I you know, was talking to a friend and he said that I could use his band's uh, music for my podcast, this was actually going to be the song I used as my podcast's theme. Um, because it kicks in real hard and it's, it's I think it's, uh, it fits, you know, it could fit in with the the classic All Japan stuff, which is kind of my go-to stuff. So, um, yeah, no, I'm a huge fan of this song. It's very up. It definitely gets you going. It's like Miyahara's theme, except it's a different type of genre and musical composition. What do you think of the production? It's, yeah, 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 yeah. That's a, a good it, question. It's a bit opaque. It lacks that crispness that would make it a lot clearer and really let it pop out. The song sounds like it was recorded a few decades ago, even though Suwama started using it in the late 2000s. And as a result of that, it made me think, you know, is Suwama older than he really is? 
because he debuted in 2004, but his theme sounds like he debuted in 1993. Yeah. So the production kind of hurts it a bit. So I think that's a conscious thing, you know, to create that link between Suama and, uh, you know, the Baba years. Um, but yeah, from a, from like a music perspective, the production is, it's not very good, right? It's not like classic rock, like 60s, 70s, uh, like, you know, uh, you know, how do I say, like, it's not something that you feel you're, like, immersed in, like, where you can, like, hear the, the pick hitting the, the strings and, you know, it doesn't sound analog by any means, right? It's very, very, um, I don't want to say overproduced, but, like, yeah, it, it's definitely, like, it reminds me of something that could be, like, Steve Vai or, like, just that really, like, uh, 80s uh, guitar stuff, basically. It sounds like someone transferred over a bootleg. You know, that, that kind of muddledness. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, Jojo, but was Suwama the ace of all Japan before Miyahara? Yeah. So, you know, I think um, in the post... Well, even starting with the Muto era, he was kind of their guy. Um, and you'll have to forgive me because, like I said, this isn't really part of my, my wheelhouse in terms of, of wrestling history. But, like, if you look at even right, like, right before the Miyahara period, um, like, when they ran those all-together shows, like, all, all three big companies ran those shows together, he was positioned, like, at the top of All Japan on those shows. Um, and he is kind of, like I said, that, like, that link between the past and the, and the current. So. I don't think he ever like wrestling was really down in that period in Japan, uh, but he was definitely on top of of all Japan as it existed uh, in those you know in that transition time. And you know he got he had a really bad injury. It was his ankle, wasn't it? Yeah, he tore his Achilles, I think, um, which you know put him set him back, and um, it kind of made them give uh, the ball to Kento. So. Uh, yeah, definitely an ace, but not like, not like someone that's an all-timer by any means. Looking at his stats, uh, five-time Triple Crown Heavyweight Champion, won the 2008 Champion Carnival, two-time winner of the World's Strongest Tag Determination League, so he's definitely been a big deal main eventer for quite some time, but not on the all-time level as, say, Misawa or Kobashi, as you put it. Yeah, I think he would be, like, on the level of, like, a Goshiozaki, maybe. I might get some, some heat for that, but that's kind of where I put him in terms of, uh, <laughs> in terms of kind of status in history. Before we move on, Jojo, did you hear that Suwama is going to change his gimmick to a Hindu religious teacher? <laughs> He's going to be called Suwami. Suwami. Come on, that's a good one. I, I was waiting for the first knee slapper, and that was that one did not let me down. I had to have at least one. I'm, I'm sorry, I, I had to. <laughs> All right, let's kick things up a notch with our next theme. It's for Joe Doring, another former Triple Crown Heavyweight Champion. The band is called Fight, the album is called Mutations, and the theme is called Kill It, Dutch Death Mix. <laughs>
a little backstory about the band Fight. Uh, in 1992, Rob Halford left Judas Priest. He wanted to do other projects, and one of those projects was with the drummer of Judas Priest, Scott Travis. They formed a band called Fight, and Fight is Rob Halford going in a more thrash metal direction, as opposed to the more straightforward you know, power metal that Judas Priest was known for. And this song, Kill It, is a prime example of what Halford was going for. Those machine gun riffs right at the start, those sharp drum fills, the overall breakneck pace of the song. There's also some elements of groove metal in there too, but yeah, this is what Fight was all about, just straight up thrash metal. Yeah, the fans love this song. Um, you know, in, in the song, you know, it says, kill it, kill it, uh, you know, over and over again. But in the intro to the song, the fans say, Joe, Joe, uh, which, you know, I like because that's my name. But uh, um, it's like this thing lights up Corwin. Uh, it's awesome. Um, yeah, the, the, the drumming really stand, uh, stood out to me uh, when I listened to this like in detail. I think the drumming's really good. Um, again, like from, from a musical taste perspective, metal is, is, not, is not my thing either. I feel, I feel like we're going to get to it eventually. We're going to get to my thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, the song, the song works perfectly for Doring too. Um, it's very aggressive and he, if there's one word that I could describe, uh, Joe Doring with, it's aggressive. Um, but yeah, I think it's another one that perfectly fits uh, the guy that uses it. Um, to some extent, you know, he does invoke the aesthetic of, of like Hans and Brody, which this song definitely does not. Um, but it works for him. Yeah, if you're looking for an entrance theme that will terrify your opponent, this would do the trick. You have this frantic, loud, thrash metal song where the entire hook is just a gang vocal shouting, Kill it! Kill it! Kill it! Not to mention Rob Halford's lyrics where he sings about severed heads and satanic lambs and burning angels. That's a real friendly image you're conveying right there. Nothing scary about that at all. And then who comes out but Joe Doring, who is six foot five, three hundred pounds, a very large man, whose sole goal is to beat you up. The two go together quite well. He's like a like a runaway train. He's like you know completely unhinged. He's a he's a he's a sight to see. Like if if you ever get a chance to come to Japan, you're gonna want to see Joe Doring live. It's awesome. I want to make a point that this is not the original version of the song. The original version was released on the album War of Words, and the Dutch death mix here was released on a compilation album called Mutations. And if you listen to the two tracks, you can hear the differences. Uh, this one has the echo on the opening guitar riffs, the deep bass line in the intro, the howling effect, that the filter on Halford's vocals. All of that was added to this little remix. That stuff wasn't in the original. Uh, the opening guitar riff those sounds a lot like the machine gun riffs from One by Metallica. Wrapping up here, I will say that Joe Doring actually has a very inspirational story. 
he was diagnosed with a brain tumor last year, and not only did he beat it, he came back stronger and more Stan hansen than ever, which is just a really cool story. Yeah, he's got, he sells a shirt that, pardon my language, but it says, fuck cancer on it. And it's a, a drawing of him uh, throwing a lariat that is shooting his opponent's brain out of their skull. <laughs> <laughs> um, which, which I would never wear, so I haven't bought, but I might frame it because that is awesome. Our fourth theme belongs to a very important figure in all Japan these days, Jun Akiyama. Akiyama is the current president co-head booker, and representative director for All Japan, so safe to say he's kind of a big deal. His theme, it's called Sternus. Akiyama originally had this theme when he was in NOAA. He got it in 2001, after the exodus. And then when he came back to All Japan in 2013, he kept it. Which I think was a really good decision on his part, because this theme is epic. Yeah, you know, I, I personally like uh, Shadow Explosion better because, because of, you know, what it reminds me of. Uh, but there's a lot of similarities between the, the two songs in terms of the instrumentation and the and the texture and even the introduction sounds similar, um, like the first couple bars or the first bar. Um, and yeah, there's some definitely some cool guitar lines with some some catchy melodies. Um, this is another one with some synthesizer that uh, I think it kind of muddies the mix a little bit. What do you think about it? You know, I didn't hear it that way. I just figured that since, kind of like Suwama's theme, it harkens back to the classic All Japan 90s sound, it would naturally be focused on the big, big guitar riffs, but also have the keyboards mixed in as well. The difference here, though, is that it ups the epic factor by about 800. The guitars are wilder, the keyboard virtuosity is off the charts, the triumphant peaks are as high as they can go. The production is also a lot clearer than Suwama's theme, so I didn't think of it as being muddled. I just thought of it as being like those themes. Yeah, I don't know if that's like, uh, you know, those Noah... I mean, most of the Noah themes from that period are holdovers from All Japan anyway. Um, but this one, like you said, it, it fits right in in that that wheelhouse of, of you know, similar instrumentation and, and, in one word, epicness. Yeah, you know, right from that opening guitar... You know business is picking up, and it doesn't let up until the end with those ba 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 ba. The whole song is just so powerful; you can't help but get wrapped up in it. Yeah, I hope he, I hope he does eventually go back to to Shadow Explosion, but I don't think that's gonna happen. 
Well, he's had this one for 16 years, so if he's not gone back yet, he might never. Um, maybe on his last show, perhaps? Who knows? Yeah, he did an interview recently, like this week, uh, and Tokyo Sports is, or maybe it wasn't Tokyo Sports, it might have been Daily Sports. But anyway, these like these interviews, uh, they ask very leading questions uh, because they want to have these like very, uh, you know, these headlines that grab you. And uh, basically, the the thing that I took away from the interview was that Akiyama would like to uh, run Budokan eventually again. And if he does that, he'll be so happy and, you know, satisfied that he'll just retire at that show. Um, so maybe there, if that happens, maybe, I don't know, five years from now, uh, we might get it then. Maybe, maybe so, maybe so. It makes sense that Akiyama would have this theme today because he is one of the last holdouts remaining from that classic All Japan 90s era. Kobashi, Tawei, Kawada, they're all retired. Misawa is gone, so while the song may have originated in Noah, it doesn't matter because the scale and the sound of the song reflect his origins and his status as the unofficial fifth pillar of heaven. Plus, it came out in 2001, which is right at the tail end of that classic era, so it's not like Akiyama is leeching off of it as a nostalgia theme. He legitimately used this song around this time. Yeah, and his like peak in terms of status was with this theme, you know, on top of Noah. So uh, it definitely, it's definitely an important theme in his history. So I get why he still uses it. And now he's in charge. You know, not, not only is he Uncle June, but, but now he's President June. So fair fucks to him. He's keeping the dream alive. That company, like you said, was in real rough shape when he took over, and Akiyama managed to sail it back into smoother waters. So it's incredible how June Akiyama is the one to make sure that All Japan is still running and, and still doing well. Yeah, I mean, he's almost... Uh, he understands what he's doing to a fault um, in terms of, uh, you know, from a, from a match quality perspective, you know, as, as someone who just wants to watch good matches. That's not me, but I'm just saying for those types of people, um, you know, he could still be, uh, you know, in the main event scene of the company. But he's decided that that's not the best thing for business. He needs to elevate other people. He needs to take a step back. And, um, but he's still a fantastic wrestler. Um, but he's definitely you know, changed his role uh, recently. And, and it's been um, extremely beneficial for All Japan as a company. Yeah, selflessness and self-awareness are two things that wrestling needs more of. So thank you, Junakiyama, for having those character traits. Theme number five, and it belongs to the youngest wrestler on our list, 21-year-old Yuma Aoyagi. His theme is by an artist who spells his name T-A-2. I think it's pronounced Tattoo, uh, but I may be wrong there. It's off the album 24-7. The song is called Rockstar. Baby, kiss me like an
Baby kiss me like a rock star. Sola no mukaoni. Can I just say the variety that we've had on this list so far? We've got techno, we've got classic all Japan epic rock, thrash metal, and now we've got what sounds like the Japanese equivalent of Pitbull. It's a feel-good song, it's very upbeat, very poppy, it's got that beachy, blue sky type of dance beat, typical of a lot of summer songs. So it's cool how there's so much variety with All Japan's themes these days. Yeah. Uh, let me talk about Yuma as a wrestler for a second before, because I think it, it, it shows how appropriate this song is. He is, perhaps, the wrestler with the most babyface potential to be a babyface main eventer superstar in the entire country. Uh, this guy is so good for his age. Um, he's one of my favorite wrestlers in the world, uh, and he's he's improving. Uh, he's not even that good yet. From like in ring, he's not even that good. But his charisma, his ability to 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 pull in sympathy from the fans, uh, his just utter positiveness, it's it's perfect. And this song uh, fits him perfectly. Um, it's very catchy and very bad. But um, it works perfectly. It fits him quite well. I haven't seen him wrestle, but looking at his age and his experience level, the song does a good job of conveying his youthful exuberance. Instead of this theme being about pain or destruction or beating people up, which is what a lot of wrestling themes are about, his is about kissing and hanging out with his girl. He has yet to have the brightness beaten out of him completely. Andrew, did you watch the Super J Cup last year? Uh, I saw some of the matches. I know Aoyagi represented All Japan in the Super J Cup. I know that. He represented All Japan, and he was he was matched up against Taichi. And, you know, Taichi is a guy that was originally um, the disciple of Toshiaki Kawada. He started in All Japan. Um, but he, he obviously left. Um, and Yuma at this point was very, very green. Um, green to the extent that he was so nervous that in his frustration, and, you know, I've, I've talked about this before, but I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure this was a shoot. Uh, Taichi was just like, fuck it. I can't work with you. I'm just going to kick you in the side of the head and, and pin you. It's over. Um, and it got some coverage in the magazines and they, they did play it up to the extent that on this Saturday's show, Yuma's getting his rematch. Um, and you know, Taichi is one of the best heels in the country. Everybody hates him. I don't know. I, I personally don't like him. He's a perfect heel. Um, and Yuma, like I said, is the perfect baby face. So this is what you're going to do, Andrew. You're going to go back on New Japan World. You're going to watch the Super J Cup. You're going to feel bad for Yuma Aoyagi. You're going to hate Taichi. You're going to fucking hate Taichi. I then, already do, so it's fine. It's fine. Okay, so you're going to increase your hatred for Taichi. Then, you're going to watch Saturday's show, and you're going to see why Yuma Aoyagi is going to be a star in Japanese wrestling. I'll, I'll keep an eye out for that one as well. Yeah, and he's, so he's like a, a disciple of Miyahara right now, but I think Kento has better like heel charisma than, than babyface charisma. So I think, like, let's say, hypothetically, you know, they do run Budokan again, I could see Miyahara against Aoyagi as a big-time main event five years from now. 
would you compare him to Harai Kawato in New Japan, where he's this young, baby-faced guy with lots of charisma and crowd support, but still kind of raw? Is that appropriate? Yeah, I mean, you, you probably heard me laugh a little bit. It's like, it's, he's so much better than Kawato. You know, not... Oh, really? Yeah, not not necessarily as a wrestler. Kawato has improved a lot as a wrestler. But in terms of a total package, I mean, it's 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 not even comparable. Like, I like Kawato. I think his ceiling is, like, maybe a single junior heavyweight title run. But Yuma is a future Triple Crown champ, no doubt. No doubt. Well, I don't watch All Japan. You do. So if anyone could correct me on Yuma Ayagi, it's you. So we go from a fiery young 21-year-old to a still fiery, but not quite as young, 63-year-old in Masanobu Fuchi, former world junior heavyweight champion, current co-head booker with Akiyama, and the man who has wrestled for All Japan longer than anyone on the regular roster. So don those aviators, start your engines, and get ready to play some shirtless volleyball with the boys. This is Kenny Loggins with Danger Zone. people out there who listen to this song and like it ironically. They listen to it through the prism of Top Gun being one of those, hey, remember how wacky and over the top the 80s were? Goose and Maverick. Synths. Fighter jets. You can ride my tail anytime. They look at it as something to snidely laugh at. And because Danger Zone was on the soundtrack, it, it gets lumped in. Which is wrong because Danger Zone is legitimately a great song. And when I listen to it, I do so not out of irony, but out of pleasure. I will go to bat for this fantastic song, because damn it, Anthony Edwards did not die in that jet battle so people could laugh at this song. I'm going to let you keep going. Tell me what you like about the song. Look, I have no delusions on how the song sounds. It sounds very much like a product of the 80s. The guitar tone, the synths, the, dun, 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 the drum machine, the... Even the fact that it's Kenny Loggins, who was the go-to guy when it comes to 80s movie songs. Top Gun, Footloose, Caddyshack, that dates it right there. But I will argue that just because it sounds like the 80s doesn't mean it's not good. Being dated does not equal sucking. The Hulk Rules album does sound dated, and it does indeed suck. But one is not entirely dependent on the other. Danger Zone sounds dated, but it's still a fantastic song. It just feels good to listen to this song. Kenny Loggins puts his heart and soul into the vocals. You've got Giorgio Moreau there behind the board, 
two music legends teaming up to kick ass and take names. Yeah, I mean, if you strip back the production, it's a really good song. Um, it's got, you know, good sections. Uh, it's got a really catchy hook. Um, you know, lyrically, it's... Lyrically, is the lyrics are not the strongest part of the song, I don't think, but musically, um, I think it's got it's very catchy and it's got good melodies. Oh yeah, I mean it's the '80s. You're gonna get that level of cheesiness, you know. But still, Kenny Loggins, the power and emotion behind his voice when he goes full force with that danger zone. Come on, man. Plus the saxophone that comes in at the end. It just oh, it just mwah. I love it so much. Love a good '80s sax riff. I'm looking at the the cover of the, I guess the single for the song, and Kenny Loggins, he looks like he could be an extra on Miami Vice. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna drop some 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 interesting information about myself right now. I actually appeared as a baby on two episodes of Miami Vice. What? Yeah. Holy crap, that's amazing. Yeah, I got I got kidnapped in one episode um as part of like a a human trafficking thing. And I got baptized on another episode. So I was a very versatile baby actor. Wow. L- look at you. Look at you recurring on Miami Vice. Two different characters. Two totally different characters. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Hey, listen, two different checks. Good for you, man. Good for you. That reminds me, actually, of when Tommy Dreamer's infant daughters were on The Sopranos. Yeah, they were in one episode. That that totally makes sense, given the you know the area he's from. If you want to check it out, the uh, I think that it's on Hulu. But I think the the two episodes. One of them is called Baby Blues. And uh, the other one is called Buddies. Buddies is Buddies is the one where I get baptized, and Baby Blues. It's the opening scene of Baby Blues is the one where I get kidnapped. Did you know, by the way, that Kenny Loggins wasn't the first choice to do this song? I did not know that. It was written by Giorgio Moroder and Tom Whitlock, and originally they brought it to the band Toto, but there were legal issues, so they couldn't do it. Then they brought it to Brian Adams, but he thought the movie Top Gun glorified war. So he said no. Ario Speedwagon, they said no. Corey Hart said no. Then finally they went to Kenny and Kenny said yes, which thank God he did because without him, we wouldn't have the masterpiece that we have today. Yeah, we need to talk about Fuji too. So I don't know if you've ever seen Masanobu Fuji before, but as... As senior heavyweight wrestlers go, this guy is is the best. He's like basically, you know, when he was kind of more important from a main event scene, not main event, but like he was more important in the company, you know, decades ago. And he was like very fiery and aggressive. He had some great matches, um, you know, six man matches in that period, you know, with with Jumbo and, and Tenru and. Misawa and you know that early early 90s late 80s period then he stayed uh through every exodus so he stayed through the Noah split he had uh an amazing tag team match uh I believe him and Kawada 
against uh, Izuka and somebody. I'm making myself look stupid now. I don't remember. Um, but really good. Probably Izuka's best match ever. Uh, maybe Nagata. I don't remember. Um, but, uh, yeah, really good wrestler back then. And then now he's kind of like a comedy guy. Um, and, yeah, he's awesome. Well, Fuchi is an all-Japan legend, no doubt about it. Five-time World Junior Heavyweight Champion. He held the belt for a combined 2,443 days over those five reigns. And like I said, he's 63 and still a full-time member of the roster. It's insane to think about that, to still be active full-time at that age. He's also used Danger Zone as his theme since 1986. So you mentioned loyalty and longevity. There you go. Yeah, Yuji Nagata and Ta- Takashi Izuka against Kawada and Fuchi. One of the best tag team matches I've ever seen. Here's how old Fuchi is. He is a first-class graduate of the All Japan Dojo. He debuted in 1973, which is the same year that Roe v. Wade was passed. The U.S. troops left Vietnam. The Sydney Opera House opened. David Bowie stopped being Ziggy Stardust. The Exorcist came out. Bruce Lee died. All that happened when Fuji started wrestling. Which means, by the way, that when Misawa and Kobashi and Taui and the rest of them were hitting their prime and selling out Budokan, that meant that Fuji had already been wrestling for 20 years. And now it's over 20 years later from that. And he's still wrestling full-time. And not goofy battle royals or legends, eight-man tags, singles matches at 63 on a regular basis. God bless him. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool to see him still going, and the fans appreciate, like, every time he steps into the ring, the fans, like, clearly appreciate him doing it. Um, so it's, it's really cool. And he's, like, the definition of loyalty within the wrestling business. I mean, he didn't go with, with Misawa. He didn't go uh, for any of the, the departures from All Japan. Yeah, he... He's loyal to all Japan pro wrestling. He's, you know, been there longer than any anybody else, obviously. And uh, he's an institution. Fuchi in all Japan, logins in the 80s, two institutions. No doubt about it. Oh, and I almost forgot. Kenny Loggins also did the song Footloose, which was the theme for the tag team Footloose in all Japan back in the day. How about that? Yeah, the name of a very important tag team in all Japan history. All right, our next theme is for the current Triple Crown Heavyweight Champion. It's the Big Cass. Oh, sorry. The Big Show. All right, that's not it. The Big E? That's not right. How about the Big Guy? <laughs> now, I'm kidding, of course, Jojo. I'm kidding. It's the Big Dog, Shuji Ishikawa. Off the album Master of Puppets, this is Metallica with Battery. <laughs> Thank you. 
Ishikawa is the big dog. And when you've got a big dog, you need a big theme, capital B, capital T, to go along with him. And he's got that here with Battery. Such an epic fucking song for a wrestler to come out to. It's awesome. Not epic in the sense of Misawa or Kawada or Kobashi, those grandiose guitar riffs and keyboard solos or any strings or stuff like that. Epic more so in the sense of how heavy, epic more so in the sense of how heavy and relentless it is. Every note just hits you like a freight train. So much power behind it, much like the power behind Ishikawa himself. Even the acoustic intro has a weight to it. You can hear the layers being added to it as it goes on. You know something is going to happen. And when the electric guitars kick in, those it's like BAM! Straight at you like a lariat. And then it's full force from there on out with thrash metal. Yeah, the uh, the intro is like probably the best. Uh, listening back to all this stuff, the this song I think is the be- the best song uh, as a as, an, as a whole package. Um, and the intro, like listening back, I, I I never really was aware of it seeing him live, uh, but it's beautiful. Doesn't it's... Ishikawa's version cut out the acoustic part of the intro? Oh, maybe I don't know. I don't know. I saw a few clips. His version cuts out the acoustic guitars. It just starts with the, the electric guitars coming in. Yeah, but I think he has, like, some weird speaking over it, too. Um, yeah, there's some woman saying something over the intro. I, I can't make out what it is uh, because yeah. the announcers talk over it. But this is a great song. It's uh, definitely, you know, when we look at it lined up against most other songs on this list, it's definitely the most complete piece of music. Uh, it, you know, it fits him perfectly. Um I'm a huge fan of the intro, like I said, and uh, yeah, it, it's it's awesome. It's awesome uh, fit for his for his character. Absolutely, yeah. That speed and intensity, it really is undeniable. It just hits you so hard from the get go. The lyrics too are not hard to comprehend. James Hetfield singing about smashing through the boundaries and pounding out aggression. He's not talking about Duracells, folks, or Everettys. He's talking about actual battery, you know, actual assault, which, when you're a wrestler, is a top priority. Yeah, that's what he does. I mean, uh, you know, if you do have some time to go back and, and watch some All Japan for this, from this year, uh, if you check out his match with Suama, his, his triple count defense, and just, you know, constantly think about the fact that his theme is called battery, uh, you, will, you will find a new level of appreciation for the man. With a song like Battery as well, you need a certain type of wrestler to have it and make it effective. You need that big bruiser or super brawler because any other type just doesn't fit. Like if Will Ospreay came out to this or TJ Perkins, it wouldn't make sense because their looks and their styles don't line up with the song. But when you've got Shuji Ishikawa coming out to it, who is 6 foot 5, 287, and he's doing Fire Thunder Drivers and choke slams and sit out power bombs. You're gonna look at him. You're gonna listen to the song, and you're gonna say, "Yep, those two fit together real nice." Yeah, it would be interesting to see him and Aoyagi swap themes for a show, because <laughs> uh, they're pretty much opposite. But yeah, both perfect for their uh, respective wrestlers. Now, Ishikawa, he is not a full-time All Japan guy. 
he is i want to say is he is he big japan he's technically a freelancer um he's he's not um you know under contract any single uh of the major promotions in japan but he does work in in many of them you know he had a, a run a very strong run in big japan he had a very strong run in ddt he's on top of all japan right now um so he's a, he's like one of the the few remaining like very top level freelancers in the country i see okay okay yeah he's he's a an excellent wrestler um you know this guy has had great matches over the last couple of years you know and i'm before that as well but uh, one of the best wrestlers in the country, without a doubt, top-level main events in all three of those co- companies, um, tag matches in Big Japan, uh, title defenses in DDT, and a great run in All Japan That with the belt that I think is probably going to get cut a little short. I would have loved to see him get a few more like uh, mid-level title defenses, um, but I'm expecting him to drop it back to Kento this weekend. All right, our second-to-last theme is a tag-team theme. It's for Takao Amari and Minabu Soya, a.k.a. Get Wild. Appropriately enough, the song is by TM Network, and it's called Get Wild. different versions of Get Wild. This one is not the original. I think it's a re-record because it's a bit peppier than the original. Obviously the song fits because of the title. And the chorus, too, which is very emphatic, get wild and tough, that works real well to get across the spirit of the team. The tone is very inspirational, very defiant. There's some oomph behind it. Still, though, there are other parts of the song that you wouldn't expect a team like this to have. Namely, some of the instrumentation. You wouldn't expect a team called Get Wild to come out to a song like this. That's, that's very new wave, synth pop. You hear those first notes in the intro that... Dun, 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 dun. You expect more of you know an 80s female-driven pop rock song. Then the keyboards kick in with the guitars, and it gives it more of a punch and it builds up as it goes along. It adds a little bit of weight to it. But still, it's not as hard rock as you would expect for a team called Get Wild. With that name, you might think of something a bit heavier. Yeah, totally. And, they, you know, they come out with these, like, uh, animal pelts on. 
and uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's a weird combination, but it really works for them. Uh, the fans like to sing along with the song, um, and you know, Omori. You know, my favorite theme that Omori used is the No Fear, uh, the the No Fear song, the No Fear theme. Um, but this one works really well too. Um, yeah, so we had Danger Zone on this list, um, which, as you mentioned, is very 80s. But this song is also very 80s, uh, just as much. I mean, it's not not as popular as, as Danger Zone, obviously, but instrumentation-wise, it's just as 80s style um, with all the synths and, and, and whatever. But, uh, yeah, it, it fits, and, and the fans like to, to, to say Get Wild along with the song. And... Uh, yeah, super 80s. That's like my main takeaway. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not as hard rocking as Danger Zone is. It's it's more of it's more of like I said that new wave pop side of the 80s with the heavy focus on the keyboards. Yeah, I mean this is a song that they would have had to go back to, like you know it was it was an 80s song when they picked it in the 2000s. So I'm sure they picked it. You know it's it's a catchy song, but I'm sure they picked it because of the name because that's what they wanted to name the team. Um, but, uh, yeah, he's using it in singles now, too. Soya hasn't been in All Japan for a while, um, but Omori still uses it in singles. So Get Wild are three-time World Tag Team Champions. I know a bit more about Omari than I do Soya. Soya, I did some research. He was an All Japan guy for years. Then he went to Wrestle One, But he did team up last year with Omari, and they won the World's Strongest Tag Determination League. But I know Soya is not a regular All Japan guy like Omari is. Yeah, and he was originally a protege of Fujinami. Uh, when Fujinami split off and, and I guess made Muga, um, you know, with Nishimura. Um, Soya is of that lineage. Um, but he left with Muto to go to Wrestle 1. Um, but he's a good guy, a good wrestler too. Um, I like this tag team a lot. But recently, uh, Akiyama and Omori have reformed their wild burning team. Um, so, Takao Omari, like I said, I know a bit more about than Soya. He's someone who's been around the block when it comes to promotions. All Japan, Noah, Zero One, New Japan a little bit. He's a former Triple Crown champion. He won the Champion Carnival a few years back. Now he's on the board of directors. There are two things that I know for certain about Takao Omari. Number one, he created the Axe Guillotine Driver, which is one of my favorite moves. If you don't know the name, Hangman Page does it as his finisher, the Rite of Passage. Also, Kazarian does it. Uh, He calls it Fate to Black. Love that move. I also know Amari for being in the 1996 Royal Rumble match. Did you know that, Jojo? Yeah, yeah, yeah. As part of the uh, SWS. SWS? No, this was a few years after that. Uh, Tenaru and Kabuki were SWS, and they were in it in ninety three, ninety four. This was ninety six. Oh yeah, no, he was always in All Japan. He was always in All Japan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Go ahead. Do you want to guess which entrance theme he came out to? No, not at all. It was the Orient Express theme. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I think I would come out to that theme if, that theme if I worked in WWE. <laughs>
our final theme of the episode. And Jojo, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about really one of the rising stars of pro wrestling. A guy you look at in the ring and you say, you know what? The energy is there. The youthful spirit and enthusiasm. All he needs is a few more years under his belt. A little bit more experience in the ring with the veterans. Then he'll be in the hunt. Of course, I'm talking about Dory Funk Jr., who at the age of 76 is still wrestling, including in all Japan. So let's hear Dory Funk's theme. This is the band Creation with Spinning Toehold. <laughs> saw this theme on the list I was a little taken aback because you put it on the list Jojo and I was like why is this here then I realized oh wait this is exactly where it belongs because 76 year old Dory Funk Jr. is not only wrestling in all Japan he's doing so on a semi-regular basis and not once a year specials like the New Japan Rambo he's doing legit multi-man tags on a good amount of shows it's ridiculous. Yeah, if if you could see the smile that I have on my face right now. This song is... So we talked about, like, my musical taste a little bit. And this isn't exactly, you know, what, what I like. But of the, the stuff on the list, I mean, this is it, right? This is... It's super 70s, which, which I don't want to necessarily describe my musical taste as. But the guitar tones in this song, the funkiness... For a guy with the last name of Funk in this song, Andrew. Are you kidding me? How perfect is that? Oh my god. Like, this is it. This is the best. This is the best. It's pure 70s rock and roll. No two ways about it. If you came up to me with this song and said, Andrew, this is a new instrumental from Aerosmith or Grand Funk Railroad or the James Gang or April Wine or Fog Hat or any other of the 400 rock bands that had this sound, I would probably believe you. Because it's such a 70s rock song. The wailing guitar, the deep bass riff, the harmonica, it, it's amazing. And it does turn up the funk in the B section where it goes... It's so funky and sassy. Yeah, the jazzy chords throughout. The, I mean, the guitar playing in the song is awesome. The guitar tones are awesome. And, you know, it's funny, the, the, the 70s, like, flavor in this song is very, it permeates all Japan. Like, probably because, like, it, the, the company was founded in the 70s, but a lot of the, 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 
the most important themes in the company's history, you know, long term, when you talk about like Jumbo and Tenru, Tenru especially, have that same like funk really. Um, but this is the funkiest of the funk because, of course, it's, it's the funk's theme. Um, but uh, yeah, it's man, I, I could listen to this. Like, of all the songs we, we, we talked about today, like, this is the only one that I'm going to go back and listen to again. In fact, I'm probably going to wa- listen to it on repeat all the way to work. <laughs> exactly. You're on the train. You are skipping into work that day. Yeah. How could you not be excited to tackle a day of work after listening to this? Well, I mean, we mentioned Fuji having the same theme for 30 years. Dory Funk Jr. has had this theme since the 70s. So he's had it for 40 years. Yeah, it really is incredible. And, you know, you mentioned a little bit about the fact that he, he works semi-regularly. Um, yeah, I mean, he he's there. He he throws his European uppercuts. His wife, you know, films it all on her iPad uh, at ringside, which is awesome to see. Um, yeah, I mean, Dory Funk is, is although his theme is, 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 you know, right in my, my wheelhouse from a, a a musical perspective, in, at least in, ter- in terms of the, the sounds, not necessarily the, the genre. Um, as a wrestler, he's very dry, right? So he needs, he needs a theme like this to just, like, funk shit up. Dory started wrestling in 1963. Here's what happened that year. JFK was assassinated. MLK gave his I Have a Dream speech. America started using zip codes. Beatlemania began. Doctor Who debuted, The Great Train Robbery, Billy Gunn was born. All of that and more was 54 years ago, and Dory Funk is still wrestling. He makes Fuji look like a young lion. Yeah, the first Beatles record came out that year, and, you know, we wouldn't be doing this episode if that didn't happen, so. Well, those were our themes for today. That was current day All Japan. Not all of it, of course. There were themes that we didn't cover, like Zeus the Bodyguard, Ikaru Sato, Kai, Atsushi Aoki. But hey, there are plenty of episodes where we can talk about those themes. If we wanted to do an episode about big, beefy, bulky muscle men, we can do Zeus and Bodyguard. If we wanted to do an episode about wrestlers with the worst haircuts ever, we can do Hikaru Sato. So we'll get to them eventually, no doubt about it. To wrap everything up here, All Japan Pro Wrestling is a different company than it was during its heyday in the 90s. Literally, it's a different company. When he got control of All Japan, Jun Nakayama formed a new company and got the rights to All Japan's names and titles. But still, you look at All Japan 90s and All Japan today, and you're going to see two different landscapes. And that's okay. It happens. Pro wrestling companies follow a fluid path. They can be really hot one minute, and the next, they're in the dumps. That's true for All Japan. After years of being awesome, they hit a real rough patch. Luckily, they were able to turn it around and correct course, and now they're doing much better, which is a good thing. I don't watch All Japan, but I'm glad it's still around because it is All Japan. It's got all that history behind it, and it's got some pretty cool themes. And besides, the more wrestling companies there are, the better for the wrestlers because that gives them more opportunities. Jojo, what about you? Any final thoughts on current day All Japan? Yeah, I mean, you talked about companies going through periods 
you know, New Japan 15, 14 years ago was so bad, particularly in the main event scene um, with the MMA influence that, you know, if you would have told me that they would be where they are today with their style, I wouldn't believe you. Um, so who knows what's going to happen with All Japan? They're definitely on the upswing. I'm definitely excited to go to the show on Saturday. Um, so who knows? Will they run Budokan again? Uh, hopefully. I think so, eventually. Will they ever reach the level they were at before? I mean, that's a big, a big factor about that is going to be the Japanese economy, right? Like, we need some inflation. Uh, we need some other things to go our way that I'm not going to get into right now. <laughs> but, um, yeah. So, like, the, uh, the future for all Japan, like the future for anything, is could go any way, right? But I'm optimistic about it. And uh, I think in terms of overall interest level right now, I said this on my show, my interest for this Sumo Hall show is higher than my interest level for any of the three G1 shows that I just went to. Um, so. Well, then now I have to watch the show. I'm selling you really hard on this show. You got to watch this show. Pinky promise I will watch the show. <laughs> so, yeah. No, I mean, I don't know if I could put them over any more stronger than that. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I'm excited. I'm, you know, pumped up for this show. I'm optimistic about the future for All Japan. And, uh, you know, if you want to jump in on the ground level of a company that, that has a, a lot of potential but is still very, you know, I'll, I'll end by saying this. I'm a big sports fan. Uh, and my favorite team is the Miami Marlins. And the Miami Marlins are most uh, characterized by the fact that they do fire sales, right? So they, they, go, they, tr they build up the team, they try to win the World Series, and then they trade everybody, and they start from scratch. So the journey of all Japan, you know, going through these exoduses is very similar in, in, in such that they had to, you know, everything gets scrapped and they have to start over. So if you're a sports fan and you like to watch rebuilding teams, uh, you know, give All Japan a shot. If you're a wrestling fan, you can watch the main events and, you know, they're, they, you can line them up with anything happening in the world right now. Um, and if you like, you know, wrestlers with a lot of potential, you've got Yuma Oyagi and guys like Koji Iwamoto and Naoya Nomura here that, you know, are going to be, you know, some of the top guys in the country five, ten years from now. So, uh, you know. All Japan's the best. And as long as they've got guys like Miyahara, Ishikawa, Doring, Suwama at the top, as well as Zeus and Bodyguard and whomever else, as long as they have that solid group of guys, you're going to do okay with them as well. Yeah, I mean, it's not New Japan where you have, like, a roster so, so, sta so stacked that you can't even get everybody on the show, right? Right, but they do have that core group of guys that they can rely on as main eventers. That's what I meant. Yeah, so... Yeah, like I said, optimism and potential and, you know, an exciting future, I think, is what's in store for All Japan. All right. Well, that does it for this episode of Music of the Mat. As always, thank you so much for listening. Remember, this podcast is part of the Voices of Wrestling podcast network, which has a bunch of fantastic wrestling podcasts about a variety of subjects. Check them all out at VoicesOfWrestling.com. Follow us on Twitter at Music of the Mat, or follow me on Twitter at Andrew T. Rich, and make sure you give us a nice rating and review 
wherever you listen to podcasts. Jojo, I give the floor to you. What do you have to plug? Yeah, uh, as you mentioned in the beginning of the show, I host a show on live audio wrestling called Japanese Audio Wrestling. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at jaudiowrestling. And uh, yeah, enjoy the show on Saturday. Well, on the next episode of Music of the Mat, episode 16, we'll be doing another theme history episode. And it will be the theme history for the Samoan submission machine, Samoa Joe. Joe was a big part of Ring of Honor, a big part of TNA, and over the past few months, a real big part of WWE. So we'll be looking at Joe's themes and his career at large. It's going to be a lot of fun. As for who will be my co-host that episode, I think you're going to like this one. The Scorelord, Chris Maffei, is coming back to the podcast. That's right, he is returning after his long, lengthy, three-episode break. The Scorelord is coming back. The co-host chair once again belongs to Chris Maffei. So episode 16, the theme history of Samoa Joe with Chris Maffei. Get pumped. Jojo, thank you so much for coming on the podcast for what will be your only appearance, let's be honest. Scheduling this thing was a fucking nightmare, and there's no way in hell I'm doing it again. So that's it. One and done. You're off the list. You know, if if you could bring in a freelancer from Japan to give the transition back to Chris, uh, I'm honored to be able to fill that role. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me, and talk to you never. I'm kidding, of course. I'm sure by hook or by crook, Chris and I will have you back on the podcast at some point. And seriously, thank you so much for guest co-hosting. This was great. Yeah, I, I would like that. You know, I, I would like to say real quick that you guys put on one of my favorite podcasts of any genre, oh, whether thanks, it's wrestling or, or anything else. Um, so I, I, really lo- I really love the show, and um, I would love to come back. So thanks. I appreciate that so much. That's so sweet. How about this? From here on out, you'll be known to us as the JoJo Josen one. You're going to have to rethink that one. All right, how about option B? Mojo Jojo Raleigh. Nah, you, you got to have to be more creative, man. I, I live in Japan. I live in Japan. You got to come <laughs> up with something appropriate. I do not want to be aligned with Mojo Raleigh. Actually, <laughs> I was combining Mojo Raleigh and Mojo Jojo from Powerpuff Girls, but if you don't like it, that's fine. Don't worry about it. Uh, Jojo Power Rangers. Yeah. There we go. I knew I'd get one eventually. All right. Well, for Jojo Remy and the soon-to-be-returning Chris Maffei, I'm Andrew Rich, and we'll see you next time on Music of the Mat. Take care, everyone. Music of the Mat is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The songs used throughout this show are property of their respective copyright holders. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home an auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations.